Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage, live outrage. from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time about. for Mortgage Matters. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Let's see, uh, oh, Dan, headphone problems over there. It's okay, buddy. I'll talk for a minute while you get some ears. <laughs> I'll run over to my, uh, my area over there and get you a pair of headphones, Dan. I just think, for whatever reason, my jack and these headphones don't like each other. It will only uh-huh. give me sound in my left ear. Uh, okay. Well, so, I'll go get you some... Um, anyways, I'll use the more um, yeah. seasoned headphones. Maybe yeah. hearing out of only one ear would like cause you to think about things a little bit differently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just switch Might it up like better. halfway through the show. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to nah. go left brain this show. Yeah. Let me go get you <laughs> some more. The ones I can get you are at least a little more comfortable than those like you know that's all right yeah. all of the um protective coating has worn off the Funny ears is, yeah. and now it's just the soft yeah. under layer of foam i have a secret stash of headphones <laughs> i have a secret stash of headphones probably a cool. petri dish of sort. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah let me go get you my secret stash hey thanks jim uh-huh. that's probably the antimicrobial layer you're missing yes <laughs> that's, what it, that's what it feels like <laughs> feels uh-huh. extra microbial well, it's the uh, final show we're going to air here for uh, 2016. Yeah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that just excitement for the show or excitement to have a couple weeks off? A little bit of both. Yeah. A little bit of both, yeah. I hear you. It's been we a good year. Reruns. We're there we reruns go. The yeah, we'll do some reruns. Yeah. Pick the be- Jim will pick the best one. Maybe some kind of highlight reel or something. Uh, Figure it out. I'm going to get in here next week and start working on a lot of stuff. So cool. By the way, I want to do want to mention coming up after your show, no more infomercials. Really? Done. Do tell. Yeah. Uh, Dave, we're going to do a best of Dave Congleton on uh, Saturdays oh. beginning at 11 o'clock now. Every Saturday? Mm-hmm. That is awesome. We got rid of the infomercial. Uh, I don't know if you guys wanted to do three hours, but <laughs> I don't. I don't want to do three hours. <laughs> no. But uh, but yeah. So beginning uh, today um, on nine twenty a.m. and ninety six five FM, we have the best of Dave from eleven to noon. Sweet. Yes. Is it like best of the the past? Best week? of the week. I actually am producing the show, so I can say that there's uh, some really good interviews we had about. Um, a guy about uh, John Glenn. Oh who, yeah, uh, past this past week, come in and talk about him, and then we had a couple other interviews that are really good. Um, so that's going to be starting today. Eleven. Okay, how long is that spot? For an hour. One hour. For now, yeah, we're just doing a best of thing, so it's cut down interviews and stuff, and cool. It's pretty interesting, but uh, yeah, is I'm, this because? The infomercial people lost interest, and in you guys need to fill an hour. I think we lost. I think we lost interest in them. Good. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Our uh, pepper is really against uh, that kind of stuff. 
So I think when their contract ended, we just said, well, see you I later. Cool. I always find myself just impressed that those infomercials mm-hmm. play. On, yeah. Like, yeah, they must work. How many people respond? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so beginning today at 11 o'clock, uh, best of day, no infomercials anymore. Awesome. Cool. At that time. So. And just a reminder, you can listen to the best of Dave on yeah. the new FM 96.5. Yeah. And the Mortgage Matter Store, of course. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, that's all, why they're All of right your now. favorite KVEC programming on FM 96.5. Yeah. It's starting to roll off the tongue a little better. I know. It's kind of cool. Just, it took a couple weeks. Yeah. FM 96.5. And 920 AM, of course. And then on the World Wide Web at 920kvec.com. Right yeah, on. so it's pretty cool. Sweet. Very, very exciting. Yeah. Well, such an anticipated week. We talked all week, all, <laughs> all year, all year, all year <laughs> about, about the rate last hike. Week. Yeah, that rate <laughs> hike. Um, a little bit of a head scratcher, though. Really, uh, I think the majority of people that listen are listening today probably know that the Feds made their move. They hiked. The interest rate, a quarter of a point, um, everybody expected it, right? Sure. There was nobody. The markets had moved prior to, you know, everything was set in place for it to happen. So I got to know then, your best explanation for why they did exactly what was expected and then the bond the bond market has a sell-off basically we have the stock market kind of acted weird same day it would seem like it was oddly received for something that seemed so certain and then we found shortly thereafter that the you know with the new change in those rates we saw interest rates for mortgages repriced by more than that quarter of a point that day for worse suggesting that none of it was built in or anticipated I thought it was just a weird day. That was a whole weird thing. Yeah, I think I think the one little bit of surprising news that might have impacted markets was just the um, the forecast for the next year of rate hikes. You know, at, at, periodically throughout the year, the Fed gives um, one year, two year, three year, five year forecasts on on the benchmark interest rate on their Fed funds rate, and. At this meeting, at the conclusion, um, shortly after the decision, there's a a press conference with Chair Yellen, and she said that looking forward in 2017, she was anticipating three more rate hikes um, as opposed to two that was previously announced at the, I I assume it was at the last um, meeting where there was a press conference. So slightly um, faster pace of, of rate hiking. And, and I think that could be really the only thing. The other thing about this move that we all expected to happen that I found interesting was um, the fact that we had gone from, you know, nine to one voting, seven to three voting, you know, yeah, we think we're ready, but we need a couple more hints that we're ready. And then all of a sudden it's 10-0 unanimous decision. Let's move a rate. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. If, if there were seven dissenters before and at least seven in every meeting prior, how did all seven of those people all of a sudden just get convinced that now is the time? There's something about a December meeting. I think we, we at least let's draw from this last two yeah. Decembers here. 
is there's something about a December meeting, which is a perfect opportunity, I think, to kind of sneak one in while, you know, people are looking the other way. Yeah, <laughs> you're not you're not exactly paying perfectly close attention. We just had a pretty good GDP for the third quarter. Fourth quarter seems like it's shaping up okay. Here it's December. Um, I don't think most people are super focused on like work and the economy and things like that right now. So they're sort of hiding out. Mm -hmm. um, it. I had a few interesting conversations this week about this too. Though, as you can kind of, um, what's the phone ringing? Is that your phone, Dan? <laughs> that's that's, that's the one of those phone. ones down the hall that uh, <laughs> oh, okay. I have no idea even where the phone is. Probably in the engineering. <laughs> they sure do ring loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've do. never seen that phone. It's a, yeah. good, it's a good ringer for going. <laughs> it's probably up. A, it's probably up in the lobby, but um, but yeah, um, I can't answer it back here. <laughs> so do I want to? Probably, but anyway. <laughs> It's kind of fun yeah. right now, you know, since we had the election, there's been all this uncertainty, you know, oh, what's going to happen, sort of watching what's happened. Now, the the dollar's gaining a lot of strength around the globe. I mean, I saw some stuff that looked like dollars hitting like a 13-year high. Um, we're getting some inflation readings now that I almost wonder, as you mentioned, how the Fed goes unanimous. Was it at least in part because they see inflation finally starting to come alive and go, hey, if you spent so long pouring gas on that fire going, why won't it light? How come we can't get any inflation? What's going on? Blow on it. You know, all of the things you could do. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's lighting. Is that at least part of it? Trying to get ahead of that a little bit? I, I don't know. This week we saw um, a, a couple of inflation numbers you have the producer price index as well as the consumer price index um both of which are up <coughs> look like we're getting to that trend now like heading towards the fed's target two percent yeah looks like we're at 1.7 percent year over year but the uh producer price index went up 0.4 percent in october which marks, I'm sorry, November, which marks um, the largest gain since June um, and starting to look like, I mean, is that an indicator? What if you start going up 0.4% a month? Well, it, it feels to me like producer prices have been outpacing consumer prices for quite a while, years, in fact. And... You know, at some point, the you know that can't continue, or you the know, producers are going out. The of business. producers aren't going to be making any money. Their profit margins too thin. They're or the other thing that I wonder too, if there's a disconnect between what they're measuring, are the costs maybe easier to measure on the producer side than right. they are on the consumer side? Are they getting more accurate readings? Most of us feel that. Uh, the the inflation readings are sort of missing what really feels like to be me. Yeah, um, and you know they take out food and energy. We see those things in the in the core inflation measures. But um, yeah, I also read in that producer price index that um, a half a percent increase in the um, cost of services accounted for um, eighty percent of the rise in the uh, producer price index last month. So it looks like if you know services are growing. Maybe that's just how the producers are going to have to sort of rebudget, sort of reshuffle. And what's the next thing to come? When the producers get to that point where their business is steady enough and things are getting more expensive for them to deliver their goods or services to the people, 
guess what? Prices go up. We're about to see prices go up. <laughs> um, and then also we had the um, consumer price index showed that um, – Oh, for the num- the month of November, 0.2% gain. So like you said, we're still being outpaced by the producer. Um, but in- anyway, it's a it's one of those things you can't help but wonder, are the feds, the fact that they went unanimous, is that what they're looking at? Is that what they're concerned about? I feel like it's just been a predetermined path for a while now. I, I think that you're right. There is something about December that's an appealing time i we we speculate at what that rationale is but for whatever reason december is the preferred month to hike when you're only going to do one yeah sneak one by <laughs> so, you know, the, the other thing too you know you can't help but but want to acknowledge this is that um the fed's ability to lower an interest rate to spur on an economy that's heading into a, a droopy quarter or a couple quarters in a row um, if you're at zero or less than one, um, arguably less than two, you don't have a lot of room. That tool is is not really in the bag. So right. maybe the feds all sitting down together said, hey, how's the torch handoff going to go from this administration to the next? And perhaps we sure. should begin to take advantage of some of this momentum, maybe trust in the momentum a little bit more and hike these rates so that we have this tool available to us should we encounter choppy water. Right. Yeah. And with all that uncertainty, it makes sense to have every tool available. I mean, really, the the manipulation of the rate is, is the tool that the Fed has. The other... The Fed does have another bag. It's set off in the corner right now. It's it's the bag of extreme measures. In fact, I think that's how all those other tools were described during the last several years was extreme measures implemented by the Fed that luckily we've been able to pull all those off the table for the most part, um, other than some maybe runoff reinvestment. But it's it would be nice to have interest rate um you know, cuts as a as a tool available again. And it would you know, really it would just be nice to have some kind of some kind of in some kind of rate, you know, some kind of return on savings sure. and return on retirement and and that kind of thing. So I you know, it, it's probably been overdue and really the the, poli- the election cycle was the the major delay these last few months. You know, I had to get by that. Didn't want to get through influence it. election or shuffle the deck too much right during that process and and it's probably more overdue than anything. Yeah, and so part of the explanation of why things went a little bit, even though we expected this quarter point rate hike, like you mentioned, the the Fed comes off a bit more hawkish, where they mention three hikes this year now instead of the anticipated two. Also, that unanimous decision, I think, means that there's a there's a room full of people that the thing they agree on because you know it's hard today it's hard to get ten people to agree on anything you can't even pick lunch sure. let alone say absolutely we want to rate we want to raise rates right now um, so anyway that was I think received as a little bit more of that that idea that when the Fed thinks the economy is strong enough to warrant higher rates guess what that leads to higher rates and. So we see that. And, um, you know, another kind of just reminder here that the decision of the Fed's hiking rates, this doesn't this doesn't absolutely drive up a lot of the consumer rates we see. I mean, it can affect costs of um, things that are tied directly to prime, like oftentimes your home equity line of credit, for example, 
Um, home equity line of credit is typically adjustable. It's based on an index plus a margin. The index is generally um, going to be prime. So whatever prime moves at is how the bank sort of keeps this um, this deal with you in a safe place because you can you know you could always draw and pay it back and do these things during that initial period of one of these loans. So they try to tie it to an index. They typically tie it to prime. Um, student loans also generally are tied to prime. Car loans are tied to prime um, at times, not always, but I would I would suggest most of the time. So, um, did we see announcements about the prime interest rate? I know I I received an email from one of our uh, our lenders, someone who provides us a line of credit to fund mortgages, and they announced that prime was up a quarter, mm -hmm. or at least their prime. Each bank sets their own prime. Here's rate. your new agreement. It's a quarter higher. <laughs> So, yeah, I know for at least one of our lines of credit, it immediately, I mean, it was minutes after the announcement that they announced the yeah, quarter rate hike and, as well. Um, you know, it reminds me of shows we used to talk about a few years ago when we were in the big, the thick of all of the problems is that um, it was sort of eye-opening to me that there's a lot of big companies that use lines of credit um, for day-to-day -day function. It's uh, it, It's really obvious when you think about something like a car dealership where the... The manufacturer builds the car, and then the car goes to the retailer, and it sits on the retailer's lot until it's sold. All the while, there's all these expenses, you know, so they it's common that they put those on warehouse lines. And so it's one of these things where when rates go up, now you see that the cost of doing business for a lot of industries is going to increase right now. I've even heard of big companies like some of the the large, you know, with the blue chip companies that do payroll and things like this online of credit because they've got uh, a better ability to control that in terms of accounts receivable and all of their um, their liabilities and stuff. They can just do a better job of, of making sure that it's all exactly as it needs to be if they use credit facilities. And so it's a... In theory, wouldn't you think that that also then puts a little bit more pressure on the producer, which ultimately leads to a little more pressure on the consumer? I mean, sure. a, these things, uh, it, you know, it flows all the way across. Yeah. And just to confirm, uh, I am seeing that most of most every major bank um, raised their prime lending rate now. So the, the new prime rate for as far as I can tell at, at every banking institution is now 3.75% up from three and a half. The other thing I read a little bit this week too, was that, um, you know, the feds was no, no, no secret through quantitative easing one, two, and three, you know, as they, they morphed these things along, they spent a ton of money. I mean, I, I, right before the taper, it was at $80 billion a month. So you're talking $20 billion a week was getting dumped into in part. It was going into bonds, and then in part, it was going into mortgage-backed securities. So there's a portfolio estimated at like $3 trillion of mortgage-backed securities. And due to those homes that are securitized by those um, on the you know federal balance sheet right now, you've got all these home loans. And as they pay off, if they're refinancing or they're selling, those monies it's been kind of agreed to under the current set of circumstances that those monies are being reinvested back into mortgage-backed securities. So now it's raising these new questions of, well, will the incoming administration support that? And absent of that, 
And right now, by the way, it's five to ten billion dollars a week of those securities that are paying off that are then being repurchased only on mortgage-backed securities. They're not using that money to buy any other bonds right now. So you have this guaranteed buyer that's twenty to forty billion dollars a month in the mortgage-backed securities market right now. And there's no real guarantee of how long that buyer will stay in the market. And if they go away, now you lose a big piece of demand. So would that then also cause interest rates to even go up further? Uh, And in that move, some thought here is that that's at least why mortgage-backed securities are pushing along. um, And, oh, man, what was the the 10-year? It was pretty close to two. 2.6. 2.6. Yeah. Um, Moody's, you're familiar with Moody's. I was reading just this morning that um, Moody's issued a report now saying that they believe that the um, these the 10-year yield is, is something that should be closer to 4%. Hmm. And... That mean and in the whole report is interesting too, as they say, as the and that's the likely target of it, which makes me think that well, that would lead to then a six percent thirty year fixed. Yeah, that's you know everybody's got an opinion on what should be and could be, but the reality is, I, I think, I think given the the place where we've come from, and you know. Yeah, maybe there could have been faster pace of hikes and things like that. But really, the economy's not warranted it this whole time. It's well, and you had to be sure that you were really ready for it, though. Especially given, you know, like we talk about this a lot: the the global economy and trying to be nice to your neighbors. Emerging markets from around the world, they really suffer when. Um, when our rates are low, investors are willing to sort of push money into some of these emerging markets and, and help them sort of develop, right? And when our yields start to go up to where it attracts those dollars back, you literally like vacuum those funds out of these other countries. And um, you could go down a laundry list of the countries that have been benefiting from having investments while the U.S. has basically been offering no yields for a while. Yeah. I mean, we've been next to flat on something. If you're looking at a two or five or 10 year term, you're getting almost nothing. Basically being beat by inflation is the bottom line. And so when you go and you do raise rates, you know that you're you're you kind of got to look out for number one. Right. But you you know that you're taking funds out of these other countries and then that leads to you know less opportunities for that economic growth this stronger this stronger dollar that we have now as a result of all of this stuff also makes it harder for exporters to do to export US made goods and services out of country so then that's going to have an impact on consumer spending these things are all so connected and that's why when we see a unified fed go 100 that we are raising rates and we think we're going to increase the pace of rate hikes next year it's a it's pretty clear indication of what you should expect they they have a lot of faith in the economy right now, but also I think are trying to ward off some kind of hyperinflation or something that might be hard to recover from, just sort of seeing how you micro adjust the super tanker. At the same time, just a short 12 months ago, we had 
the Fed making a similar move, a rate hike, quarter of a point, and forecasting three to four rate hikes over the course of 2016, we didn't see, we, we have only seen one, which was this most recent one. Yeah. So, you know, is this like a hopeful, ideal scenario that there's going to be three more going forward? Or is that subject to, ch- I mean, I, I imagine it's all subject to change depending on how the economy responds. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see if they stick to the path this time, um, or if it, it'll. I, I guess it'll just be interesting to see how everything shakes out, how the economy responds, how guess what you know whether or not Chair Yellen's even the one making decisions come uh, come January twenty one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's all pretty interesting. Tell you what. You can just wait and see with everyone else. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Hey, it's 9.30 now, so let's go do a commercial break here, take some time out to thank the sponsors. We'll be back in a minute with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso Robles, Morro Bay, Atascadero, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look at the five and ten It's glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes that glow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Alright guys, welcome back. Hey, what's the five and ten, by the way? It's like, it's like the Walmart of today. Okay. Like the five and ten was like Woolworths and stuff like that. Yeah. The five and dime. Five and dime. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Ninety nine cents only. I guess would be it. Or Dollar Tree. There it is. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Anyway, so and I remember you said you wanted to hear Michael Bublé this weekend. So there you are. 
guy's like a time warp, man. I know, isn't he awesome? He's got a great voice. Yeah. They were talking a lot about yields and rates and things, and I... Um, very exciting. Very exciting stuff. Did you see, this is actually pretty exciting, did you see that China is no longer the top holder of U.S. debt? It's now Japan. Is that a good thing? I don't know. But, you know, you were talking about some things going haywire in the markets after this announcement. And, you know, part of me is wondering or thinking that it might not all have to do with the Fed announcement because that was pretty much understood to be happening. We we all thought that was going to happen. That was not a surprise. So perhaps some of these other these other things that were not as headline worthy were were influencing markets in some way. Yeah, I read I read um, an article about the Bank of Japan. Um, they're going to come out with their monetary policy statement here between the end of the day, the end of our day Monday, and the beginning of our day Tuesday. Um, analysts are expecting the bank to keep quantitative easing unchanged and negative rates wow. on hold. Um, but yeah, that's that's a fascinating thing. Uh, there are lots of those other pressures. Uh, the Bank of England and the Swiss National Swiss Swiss National Bank. My my brain was always already going to the Swiss. sound of national <laughs> like that. The Swiss National Bank. They both kept monetary policies unchanged, um, and. So it's now up to the Bank of Japan to kind of close out the major economies for the world this next week and see what's going to happen. Hmm. Um, and isn't that interesting that the number one holder of U.S. debt is currently functioning in a negative interest rate environment themselves uh, in an effort to you know provide that quantitative easing, that cycle that we went through a few years ago? Uh, you know, yet again, one more reason why the the U.S. dollar is pretty strong right now. In that same article, too, I was I was reading um, the European Central Bank is getting ready for what they expect to just be a pretty difficult year. Um, they've had, obviously, some political change over there, too, with the Brexit. Haven't exactly figured out how all of that's going to go down. I mean, many people say that we sort of kicked that can down the road of fully acknowledging what would happen there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the... Um, Oh, president of a bank over there said monetary policy was powerless in revolving or creating uh, Eurozone growth next year. That basically there's just going to be a a period of some tough rebuilding from the ground up that is not going to come by way of some sort of tweaking of monetary policy. And so, um, you know, it sort of has everybody also waiting to wonder what's going to happen in the Eurozone What's going to happen in Japan? What's going on in Germany? The Swiss Bank, all these different places, and you know. But here, here on the home turf, we're unanimously agreed that we need higher rates, and we're going to increase the pace of that next year. So, sort of pulling out a front of what the rest of the global economy is looking like, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all comes together. So, it seems to me that. In the last, oh, six weeks, maybe two months, let's call it two months, we've seen the 10-year note yield move from somewhere around 1.6% all the way up to 2.6%. So we've seen about a one-point increase in interest rates. Yeah. And I believe that that's true in the mortgage world. And Um, right now, you're basically 
almost seeing a 1% increase in what the 30-year fixes cost from a couple of months ago to today. What's the 30-year fixed as of Friday? Uh, yesterday, pricing those out, like you're, depending on, you know, the average scenario, I'd suggest probably like a no points, so you're not paying any origination points, you're not really getting any credit, you're sitting typically at about four and three-eighths. Hmm. And that's why I say almost a point, because back in October, I probably would have suggested it's probably three and a half. So you're close. You're seven-eighths of a point interest increase in the last couple months. Um, for years, I read that when rates go up, it's going to be sharp and dramatic. And I thought, eh, we'll see. Because a couple times we tested it. When yeah. we came off of three and a half, so we went to four and a quarter. Pretty quick. Um, that happened around that last December rate hike and then we found ourselves going into the beginning of the year we 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 worked our way down over the course of the year and of course it was because each time the feds meet they came out and said no rate hike uh and we're reducing the forecast for rate hikes this year so it's like and this is the thing this is why it makes it interesting how confident they were this last week you were that confident before there was 3 to 4 rate hikes projected for last year we got none well, and it, I, so you again, gave us I, one now yeah. and said we were going to have two, and said you gave us one, and now we're going to have three. Let's Oddly look. Familiar. Let's look back. I mean, okay, let's look forward, and then we'll take a quick history lesson here. Looking forward, we've got January, February, and March economic readings to come out. Yeah, we're going to have some retail sales from the holiday season, but then we're going to get into those winter months and what's going on in the north and the northeast? Polar vortex, you know, redux. Stormzilla. It's, yeah, it's yeah, back. 2.0. So think back to the last three first quarters. They've been bad. They've been really bad. I mean, we're talking zero growth GDP, or maybe I think we even had a negative um, quarter uh, three years ago. Then we had barely into the positives, like a 0.1 or something growth. And then we had something around 0.8 or 0.7 this year. So I'm expecting more of the same in this 2017 Q1. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, if things go at a slower pace than what they're even suggesting at this most recent press conference, um, simply because those numbers aren't going to be great. You want to talk a little fly in the ointment? Sure. U.S. retail sales came out for November this week, too. Mm. Expected increase of 0.3%. Actual increase, 0.1%. So technically still up. But, uh, you know, that and that 0.2%, by the way, I mean, that that's a... Basically, a third of expected. It's a poor showing. Um, U.S. retail sales barely rose in November. Households cut back on the purchases of um, motor vehicles and other large purchases. Um, and of course, that's a that's a suggestion here that there's a little bit of loss in momentum for the economic growth of the fourth quarter. Um, is that setting the stage for what you're going to see about fourth quarter readings? Have we been projecting too much, and now you know are we going to are we going to have a a wacky a wacky fourth quarter finish? And then, like you said, leading into what for the last few years here, first quarter has not been friendly. It's been bad. It's been bad, bad. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I. Yeah, you you expected gains and and were pretty disappointed in seeing those um, that cooling concern 
consumer spending after um, the summer months, June and July. I mean, those were those were solid months in consumer spending, and so um, it, it puts a little bit of a, a shadow over whether or not that consumer is really strong. And you got to go through this season, um, holiday season, right here, right? I mean, is your Christmas shopping done? What are you yeah. going to do? You usually shop on Saturday. I know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is an interesting thing that I'm glad we're talking about. For the last couple of years, to answer your question, yes. Well, no. Mostly. Mostly. Okay. Mostly done. Um, but for the last couple of years, my entire family has approached Christmas differently. Mine too. We're buying each other. The adults are buying each other less gifts. In fact, we're doing more of the white elephant type stuff just because... What we find is that we all buy each other stuff that, you know, it's we're like forcing ourselves to come up with ideas of yeah. what we need. We're, we're, we're asking for things we don't really even need or want, and we all realize it. And it's, we want to spend, we want to just make it more about the kids and more about spending time with each other. So we do the yep. white elephant thing. We all get to sit in a circle and be silly and laugh and have fun. Interact and, and Yeah, be we together. all get a gift at the end, which is cool, but it's more about spending that family time together. Yeah. And that's what my family, my wife's family, that's what we're all doing for the last couple of years. My family and my wife's family have moved on to the same thing. And part of me, like I remember when I was a kid, um, my grandparents would have... Um, my grandma was kind of crazy with presents. Like I, I remember one year, like the tree in the corner and just like this flowing sea of gifts across the room. And um, it was just nuts opening presents for an hour. And even as a kid, it get to the point where you're like, I need a break. It's overwhelming. <laughs> and a pancake. You know, and, <laughs> and with your own child, if you get them a, a dozen presents or something, you'd see the same thing as they sort of glaze over. And so we've all recognized that it's not... A, I don't, I don't think it's the spirit of it anymore. I, really, now today, so we do the same thing. Like with the kids, let's make it special for the kids. With the grownups, there's so many people. Like when you add up my wife's family, add up my yeah. family. If you went out to spend twenty or fifty bucks on what, and really in today's market, twenty or fifty bucks buys you another meaningless thing, an appliance or slippers or something that's just not. It's Everything just, that I actually want is $300 or more. So you're going to line up um, 30 people at 50 bucks a pop, and you're going to drop 1500 bucks over spreading out all these presents amongst things, and it doesn't accomplish the objective that you want. So right. for all of us, we've arrived at this position of, you know what, it's more about getting together, having a good time. Um, we're doing something like a gift exchange. Yeah. Um, Secret Santa, and White Elephant. Yeah, and everybody yeah. suggested that consumables like food or wine or cookies or something like this is this is nice. Let's let's have that in mind. Um, and so yeah, we're I I feel like I don't really want want or need to go get out and do some crazy shopping now with my kids. I got to buy a few presents. Sure. Um, I doubt. Well, maybe my daughter's listening. I mean, I shouldn't say this, but anyways, I I actually have. Picked up a couple of presents from Craigslist. Like, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to go pay three times as much to have this thing brand new. Some other consumer already bought it and lost interest in it. Yeah. <laughs> well, know? and I feel like it's the the frenzy on Christmas morning by itself isn't the problem. I think that is 
cool. I think what's the real problem is that it became so commercialized that we started advertising Christmas sales before Halloween even hit. Right. And it, I just got burnt out on all of it, and well, burnt out on the consumerism of it. Actually, you know, and, and there was kind of a backlash this year a little bit yeah. about the Black Friday stuff. Yeah, totally. And, and I like on a lot of companies you've seen the last two years, yeah. companies have come out and said, we're giving our Get employees outside. the day off yeah. on yeah. Black Friday. We're not even going to allow you to buy our products yeah, on Black REI Friday. REI seemed to start that yeah. two years ago, mm -hmm. and I thought that was pretty smart. Was like, like, hey, like, like Marshalls, Marshalls was closed, I think, out. and yeah. TJ Maxx and all yeah. that. Several stores this Sure. Did you see that the big, um, the the largest mall, the Mall of America there, Minneapolis, that were closed on Thanksgiving? That's wow. that's cool. They said the stores can be open, but the mall employees are going to be off. So, so how are you going to get into the surprised. stores? <laughs> I'm not yeah. going back to the the number that you're talking about, the economic number here, retail sales. I'm not surprised it's not as more people, good, or, you know, as we were hoping. Just yesterday, I was hanging out with. Um, my brother-in-law and, and good friend and we were the three of us are driving down the road together we started talking about um boomers and millennials and gen x and gen y and well which are you well there's some overlap there so you can pick the one that you um yeah. best relate to we're on the cusp so we can just pick whichever one is the better one that day which I, I I feel like I identify maybe more with the Gen X, and if if only because I just want to resist being a Gen Y. Um, but anyway, so the question was asked: Well, who comes up with this stuff, and why? I right, here's my best answer: It's come up with by marketing firms, so that they can best classify and know how to begin from a very early age to to pin down you and your your demographics personality type so they can best figure out how to force you into the consumer mold. <laughs> Am I just jaded? But I just and and truly, because you look around, I mean I was reading the report this week, you know, oh boomers. Baby boomers have got trillions of dollars of untapped equity now in their homes. So if you're not, this is an article I'm reading. So if you're not actively marketing right now to the boomers for reverse mortgages, you are missing tremendous opportunity. And it's like, wow, oh, man, that's crazy. And then the next article is like millennials. Mm -hmm. Millennials are finally ready to buy real estate. They see the value. They believe in the investment power and opportunity. They know it's their ticket to financial freedom. And if you are not marketing to millennials, you have, you know, your plans need to be rewritten. You need a better plan for 2017. And I'm just going, man, we're just constantly trying to put people in a box to figure out how to market to them. And um, I got to follow those big. I think people are just getting tired of being marketed to it. Yeah. it we, like you watch that show. What was that show with the advertising firms where, you know, from the it was from the the 50s and 60s. There was a show recently, Mad Men or something. I think. Oh, the TV show. Yeah. Mad Men. Yeah. Right? yeah. I didn't watch it. Um, but like one episode it was like, you know, they're smoking cigarettes inside at the desk. And Drinking a highball. Being real, discussing and, and, and being brutally sexist. And um, anyway, it marks this like generation now where we are like, oh, yeah, no, they got really good at it. They, they did the advertisers and the marketers and the firms and the 
with the invented the pop up ad and now the phone thing and it's just they they are brilliantly good at getting in my head. I can't do anything now. You have the gas pump and the thing kicks on. Little dude starts talking to you like, hey, you know, you should go inside and pick up a thirty two ounce yeah. soda. And then you know, but everywhere you go, you're getting marketed to. And I kind of wonder now if the consumers, if some of us are starting to just want to just sort of put up a shell and just yeah, go, you know resist what? I don't want that anymore. Yeah. I don't need a brand new car every year. I don't need to go buy the the newest best thing. I don't always have to have the, you know, the whole thing. I, I feel like more people, and maybe it's just my demographic now, but more and more of my peer group are people that are ending up going, that's... Ah, I'm I'm done with that. Over that. You don't need that, you know. So maybe this is maybe this is what's up. And this is going to make it difficult to have good GDP readings sure. because they're built 70% around consumer spending. And as we see too, the things are getting more expensive. And you know the other thing too? I we talk about this often, but my grandma has a refrigerator. <laughs> I was thinking about this on the drive That's like in. 40 years old. Yeah. I was in my house this morning. Um, my, my, we got a new house, Had you know, came with the fridge, right? The fridge makes this noise, this droning, whining noise. And it goes on and on. So I'm sitting in, in the chair at the table, putting together my show notes and that my wife and kids went down to be with family for a holiday party this weekend. So my house is empty. It's me and the dog. There's nothing on my laptop. So I can barely hear the fan. It's really quiet. Mm. And I'm listening to this fridge and I'm just singing, Oh man, I know they did that on purpose. That fridge, I saw the receipt for it. The previous owner bought the yeah. thing from Idler's five years ago. Yeah. It's a nice stainless steel fridge. I'm just thinking, they got us now. We got to buy new appliances every few years yeah. because they purposely make these things break just so that we have to buy a new one. Uh, my I saw grandmother some... had like a cold spot refrigerator in her house for like 45 years. And it, you know, when we went to like close out the house and everything, the thing was still working. Right. Perfect. After like fifty five years. Like the day it was built. Yeah. And I the mean, only she reason it doesn't 40... work today is because you guys unplugged it. Yeah. <laughs> that I know. thing's still going. Yeah. I so I saw I see this this thing on the internet the other day. It talks about the difference between nineteen ninety six and, you know, twenty sixteen, twenty years, right? What's different about people's household expenses? Well, you have the same bills. Yeah, everything's gotten a little more expensive. But now you also have everybody's got internet. Did You you didn't pay for internet back in 1996. You dialed up through your phone line. You know, now you have that additional expense. Now you've got all these cable channels and all this stuff. You know what? This I, The thing I was seeing didn't even talk about, well, your stuff doesn't last as long. Right. You know, you... You go out and buy things. You used to expect, you know, a major appliance to last ten or fifteen or twenty years right. or longer, and now, if you get five years out of it, you've probably exceeded the norm. Well, and when you're at the register, everywhere you go, they want to know if you want to buy the three-year protection plan. Right. Why should I have to protect this? Man. Exactly. <laughs> this Can't should last just... three years. <laughs> 
Yeah. Even on Amazon now, if you go in there to buy something, whatever it is, a DVD player, whatever you need, they could offer you a protection plan. And it's basically a way of saying, we know you know we all make crap now. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. so here's and the an protection, policy the protection plan conveniently only covers the first five years. Yeah. But uh-huh. and, and that's the thing, you know, that doesn't pull through a consumer price index. You know, you don't. Yeah, the refrigerator might might not have gone up significantly in cost but now but you it need doesn't to replace last it every as long. five years right. right exactly yeah my actually my um appliance repair guy and i'm not going to mention the brand name but said that um most of these refrigerators and stuff are now made by one company and yeah, even they just put an urban tag on them and he said just as long as you can repair this one that you have keep repairing it because it's going to last longer than those new ones. And yeah. my refrigerator is probably 15 years old. Yeah. yeah. You got you got Whirlpool who makes your Gen Airs. And yeah. Your, yeah they That's make what all he was the, saying. The I, I, you threw the out the name. I didn't. Well, yeah. I, I <laughs> did this dance, of, you know, four or five years mm-hmm. ago. And same, yeah, they all, the same manufacturer markets under five different yeah. brand names. I think it's like Sharp for microwaves. Yeah. Stuff that they just put different names on. I want to. Going back to my article here about uh, producer price index, energy prices fell 0.3% in November. And I'll remind you again, this was producer prices increased 0.4% in November. So energy, which everybody relies pretty heavily on, was actually down 0.3%. Imagine if energy was up 0.3%. You didn't have producer prices up 0.7%. I'm just going to add those two together. It seems like common sense to me. Um, wholesale food prices rose 0.6%. Healthcare costs gained 0.2% no last month. Wait. And I'm like going 0.2. Wait, wait. That must have been like the December number reading for November. By the way, December 1 was the. The open enrollment period. That's when everybody's premiums went up. We can talk about more about this during the break, but I got the new insurance cards this week for uh-huh. me and the kids. Did you get did you get yours I and look at it? Yeah, yet? I got two sets. I don't know which one's the right set. Yeah, we'll pull out the new one. I think the update that they just sort of sneaked in there. The copay copay is double. seventy dollars yeah. now? Yeah. To take the kid to the doctor for a runny that's nose, crazy. it's seventy bucks, that's and the crazy. deductible is six thousand bucks. That's crazy. Per person, well, there's a family deductible maximum that's like fifteen grand or something. <laughs> it's so like I, I'm like down payment on a house. I got my new cards, which ordinarily you're like, oh, I'll put this in the wall with the old one. I'm like, I'm gonna keep the old one that says my copay is thirty five bucks because <laughs> all of a sudden I can't help but feel like I have the. Uh, the catastrophic insurance plan. Did you hear the Obamacare got extended through Monday too? Deadline to register for Obamacare. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. come on, guys. Hop in. The water's warm. Isn't it open through the end of this month? I think it got extended till Monday. It was Hmm. through the middle of this month. Interesting. I think. I mean, I might be wrong, but I think that's... The cost of hospital inpatient care um, increased 0.2% after going up 0.3% in October. Um, Oh, yeah. Anyway, I like to look at this. This is kind of wild to me. Whose health care went up only 0.2%, by the way? (laughs) Ours went up like... I make gross generalizations. (laughs) It's tripling every month, basically. This is a solid 25%. No, goodness. 
the key gauge of underlying producer price pressures that excludes food, energy, and trade services. <laughs> For all of those that don't use food, energy, or trade services, it only went up 0.2%. Good God. For yeah. all those that don't use food, energy, or trade services. Right. Hmm. <laughs> I didn't even well. click past the headline, but, okay. but OPEC was meeting up last week, right, or two weeks ago, trying to figure out how to slash production to get prices back up. Yeah, I saw that. That's going to be a problem when we all have to go back to paying four bucks a gallon on fuel on top of all this other stuff that got more expensive and doesn't last. Yeah. I th I feel like the uh... are we wrapping up the is the last show of 2016 here turning out to be a bummer. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's that... a that's a dying. I I can't help but think that's like I I feel bad when the Xerox guy calls up our office and is like, so yeah, how how's your copier doing? Can we help service that thing? <laughs> a a what copier? <laughs> Good luck, buddy. Every now and again, when I get so really I desperate for a, uh, for a copy, I do uh, a couple of different things. I have some strategies, actually. Um, if I can scan it, I'll just scan it and then print it or send somebody the scan in lieu of the copy. If it's something that won't fit, like you, if I need a copy of you, then I can just take a picture of you with my phone and yeah. send that to somebody. Um, we, uh, copier that's outdated. I saw on Facebook, somebody this week said too, that somebody, their kid asked about typewriters. What is that? <laughs> well, that's a typewriter. You'd push the buttons to type the words. It was what we did before computers. And they, <laughs> the kid said, is that from the 1900s? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So your problem with this is, right? <laughs> I remember then, doing reports in school on typewriters yeah. and having to bring out the correction ribbon. My, yeah. kid, my kid loves to tell me about that I'm, oh, yeah, because you learned that in the 1900s. <laughs> so the correction ribbon was like, awesome. Like, like I need IT help from a 40-year-old. You have to go, <laughs> you have to back it up and go a little white out over the top yeah. of the letter and because sometimes it's Sometimes you wrong. had to like... Whack that T on the whiteout paper over that bad T several times to try to get it to lift, you know? Yeah. The, the good old days. Hey, guys, we got to do a commercial break here for the top of the hour. We have about a five-minute break, and then we'll have a whole another hour of Mortgage Matters. Hopefully, you'll stick around. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Citricoast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'll tell you why. Santa Claus is coming. To town. He's making a list and checking it twice. He's gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Yeah, righty. He sees you when you're sleeping. He Welcome back, everyone. All right, well. So 
Lots of fun rate talk, inflation talk, what tomorrow brings talk. It's that time of year where you're looking looking out what's on the horizon. Yep, looking towards the holidays and looking out to the future after the holidays are over. I thought we'd switch gears a little bit, maybe freshen up the topic. Um, we'd spent a pretty decent part of this last year getting in-depth looks. I mean, we even had appraisers on the show giving us real in-depth looks as to uh, what the challenges have been in the... Um, it's hard to get new appraisers trained up into the table. It's been really heavily regulated. Now we're in this position where we've got um, basically more orders being requested than appraisers with hours in the day. So we see National Association and California Association of Realtors putting out these stats saying that appraisals are the, the most common delay in a real estate transaction. Um, and as of December 10th, Fannie Mae seems to have um, reacted a little bit in adjusting um, appraisal requirements for loans. I thought that was kind of interesting. and, it, and um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. It also creates an opportunity, I think, for some people that um, maybe, maybe will be able to take advantage of the new appraisal requirements that couldn't before. Um, so anyway... You've said so more than once. What sense does a refinance appraisal matter? If you're doing, you're the same people on the loan, you usually have the same job, you have the same character, you have the same house. Now you just, you're getting a, you're changing your interest rate or you're shortening your loan term. Why do we need to involve an appraisal in this? Yeah. Specifically that, what we call in the industry, the rate and term refinance. That's the refi where... The homeowner is not receiving cash out. You know, they're not they're not accessing equity in their home. They're simply improving their interest rate or, or the term, term of their loan. And in that situation, when there's an easy, easily justifiable benefit to borrower, why is an appraisal even a component of of the approval process? There's a couple reasons I can think of as a you know a. a a risk management type of uh, mindset is if I do a refi with you, um, the appraiser is kind of my, my boots on the ground in your property. You can go see, did you do something crazy? You know, I mean, I, I heard a job my dad had a few years ago. He's a builder and he, he got hired by some people to go fix their house. Their tenants cut a floor a, a, a hole in the floor and cut a like a floor fire pit in and then just like chainsawed a hole in the roof above this like fire pit in the living room. But real, this is a true story. So if people are doing bizarre things like this, it's kind of nice to have a, an appraiser go out, you know, when they want to refi to go have a look. And my rebuttal to that would be, well, they still owe the money on the home. And if they're improving, if they're lowering their payment or shortening their term, which benefits them in the long run, doesn't it just improve the likelihood of them continuing to repay that debt? I think the answer is a unanimous yes. But the, I guess the problem would be that if the current loan is held by, you know, ABC Bank and then you know, XYZ bank is coming in to do the refi. Maybe they don't want to take on sure. that 
that particular, you know, that collateral that's so that's the you know transferring that debt from one institution to another but as in the whole of it all the fact that they owe money and then they're just going to owe that same amount but at better terms yeah i think there's you know there's no risk so added. the re- the revision of the policy now is that um if you're getting a new loan um and it is it can be owner occupied second home or investment property if you're getting a new loan and at least one of the people from the previous loan, which had an appraisal, is party to this transaction. So let's say you and I um, buy a house together and we get a loan on it. And then five years later, I'm going to do a refi. Maybe you know, maybe I bought you out. Whatever happens, I'm going to do a refi. So I'm the only remaining member from that original transaction. Um, that would satisfy the requirement of one of the original members on that loan on this loan. Um, and then you could potentially have um, an appraisal free transaction without fee. And the other requirement is that there has to be an appraisal on file with the it's called the UCDP right. portal, which is the it's a uniform collateral data portal. So this is where appraisals now are on standardized forms where all the data fields are are uploaded to a database that that Fannie Mae has access to. So as long and what we've been using that portal now for five years, maybe yeah, six years, something like that. So if you've had an basically you've had to have have an appraisal in the last six years since we've been using that uniform uh, collateral data portal, and at least one person from that transaction has to be on the loan, and then basically any rate and term refinance. Um, would be eligible for an inspection waiver, and any low LTV cash out refinance would be eligible. And then investment properties, it's less than seventy five percent for a rate and term, less than sixty for cash out, something like that. So I mentioned that I think that there's some okay, so first, I guess before we talk to that about who might benefit from this, uh, first of all, I want to suggest that everybody in the industry is going to benefit from this um, is, you're now freeing up appraisers to not have to go do this busy work where their their finding is kind of inconsequential. Like, say for example, you owe two hundred thousand dollars on your house that's worth oh, we could debate it all day. Is it five fifty or six hundred? It doesn't really matter if it's worth three hundred or four hundred. Yeah, the equity's there. The transaction's fine. We're not concerned. You're not a risk of defaulting, and if you are, we know we're protected. So anyway. You're not going to have the appraisers running around doing all this busy work for what is kind of inconsequential transactions. That's going to allow them then to be focusing on the orders that are required, which is largely going to be purchase loans or refinance loans that are high LTV, multi-units, uh, you know, new person on title without the the original members, something like this that... It makes sense to get in there and, and want to take advantage of it. Yeah, I like this change a lot. I'm I think it's definitely a, in favor. I think it's of this. a positive change. Um, so then I think there's some other people. Oh, one more component to the. Oh, you're you're still talking about appraisals. I just wanted to say that at, come January one, there was typically a seventy five dollar charge for an appraisal waiver. Don't ask me why. Um, better than paying four seventy five for an appraisal. It's only seventy five bucks to not have an appraisal now come january 1 they're not going to charge anything for the property inspection yeah, waiver a fee. no fee yeah one of the bummers about it though is that um 
you know, I, I want to do as much purchase business as I can. So it's something I've always been focused on. And, and sometimes we get a waiver even for a purchase loan. It's not, yeah, that's not going to happen. Anyway. So that's going away. That's a little bit of a bummer, but I mean, I guess there's a, always a little push and pull with things like this. Some, yeah. something had to give, um, but, but so here's, I think an opportunity for some people, um, well, if you have something about your property that might be non-conforming or maybe some sort of a project that you're in the middle of that may preclude you from being able to do a refinance, this is upsetting to people. Like, listen to this borrower. He's got a 30-year loan, and he's currently redoing one of three bathrooms in the home, you know, torn out. All the way down to the studs in this bathroom because there's another bathroom down the hall and another bathroom downstairs and it's his desire just to sort of bring this home up to up to date. And he says, "Well, I want to get a refi," and say, "Well, eh, that bathroom's a problem." Yeah, well, but a we've six, got three other bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, and it's a six hundred thousand dollar house that I owe two hundred thousand dollars on, and I'm not asking for any money out of it. But why do you care? The bathroom's going to cost me 5000 bucks to finish, and I want to do it. I mean, yeah, you could probably hire somebody to come do it in the next two days, but I want to do it slowly over time, and I want to just, you know, I'm going to buy the flooring, and I'm going to pick the tub that I want, and I'm going to do the the sink that I've always wanted, all these things. I'm going to just do I'm going to do it at my pace, and then we as a lender will typically say, that's not okay. You, you're going to have to wait until you're done with your remodel. So I'm thinking about these borrowers that were in the middle of something. And now the fact that you're not going to need an appraiser to come into the house. So those it's going to be something that's unknown, undeclared, um, undiscussed. It's just, hey, you got a waiver. And so um, that's probably the most benign version of that. There's a couple of other versions of it that present itself, such as maybe you did... Uh, made yourself an office in your garage, right? And it's a non-permitted office. So like you didn't run water and stuff like that, but it's a, it's this converted space that, you know, it, it's not permitted. And so it's probably not acceptable. And oftentimes in an appraisal with at least some of our lenders, they would look at that and take issue. Mm -hmm. So again, this, like maybe you did try to get a loan recently and Ran into this issue and they said, well, you got to tear the room out of the garage. I said, well, I don't want to tear the room out of the garage. And so then you abandon the transaction. Perhaps now there there might be reason to return again. You're not going to have to have an appraisal. So un unknown, undiscussed, one of those issues that um, potentially get you a loan that you weren't able to get before. Uh, th those are, I think, just opportunities maybe for some people to to kind of sneak one in there that uh, previously were unable. Um, and so, yeah, I see it as a positive change. I think it's going to improve turn times. It's going to save consumers money. It makes so much sense. I've, I mean, we've been t advocating for this for a while. It makes a lot of sense. Appraisers, we get their opinion of value on transactions where it matters. We don't waste a borrower's money or waste time where it doesn't matter. It just makes sense to me. So I'm, I'm really happy about the change. The other big change uh, that's you can apply for these loans now, it, it actually goes into effect January 1, is the conforming loan limit um, was announced to be going up by FHFA. They announced it a couple weeks ago, and, and we're now able to take those loan applications today. 
the new conforming loan limit um, is four hundred and twenty-four thousand one hundred dollars. So it was previously four seventeen, four hundred and seventeen thousand was the magic number where you can get the best conventional um, loan, best interest rate. Four hundred seventeen thousand was the cap. Um, now that's going up to four twenty-four one hundred. There's also that conventional high balance loan um, where you can still get excellent interest rates. That for San Luis County has gone up ever so slightly. I don't know what the number is off the top of my head. Five eighty-one five, I believe. Let me look it up. It was five sixty-one two hundred, and now for San Luis County, Jason's going to check that figure. I believe for Santa Barbara County, it actually has not changed. It's um, stayed the same at six twenty-five five hundred. Yeah, it didn't increase for Santa Barbara. Which I thought was kind of surprising. Yeah, it really surprised me because the high balance limit allowance did go up. It went up to six thirty something, I think, or five. I don't know. It went up, but um, yeah, it went from six twenty five five to five thirty six and change. But Santa Barbara County didn't get to get to go up for some reason. Yeah, and you know where it becomes. I'm still looking this up, but I can talk uh, while clicking. You know where it becomes pretty practical too. When you're in the market for a house, like in slow, it's 5% down for you to get that loan that's been at 561 too, mm-hmm. right? And so if you go beyond that, you got to get into a true jumbo loan, and the terms erode pretty quickly. I mean, there's mm-hmm. still some great offers out there, but so generally speaking, if somebody said, well... I'm going to get a 5% gift or I have 5% down. Well, you could take 561.2 divided by 95% to project a maximum purchase price. Um, so now, and that basically has left us at this um, kind of weird place in the market where some of these homes, you just wish you had a little bit more, re- more reach. And so with the new loan limit, um, you're going to end up finding out that you can just have a little bit more purchasing power. Um, this is the first change to the conforming loan limit in how long? It was like oh. 10, 11, 12 years. Yeah, I, I remember. More than a decade. I remember when it went to 417, and it seems like it's been. Um, I want to say that it was it was like right around 2004 or 5 when the conforming loan limit bumped to 417, and then it stayed there. The feds kept it there. In spite of um, flattening and even declining home values um, er, er in 2006, 7, 8, because they didn't want to um, didn't want to make the environment worse for homeowners to be able to get better interest rates and terms. So they kept that loan limit higher. They kept it all through the recession. And um, now that values have caught back up, now they're actually able to go higher with that conforming loan limit. So that's... That's a big deal, um, and, it, and it's, it's it's a sign of, of uh, I would say, full recovery in housing. Yeah, it's encouraging. I mean, in, in, if nothing else, it, it just, especially in our area here, there's plenty of properties around here that are above that that 561 number, and so it, it cr- increases the, the reach of the first-time home buyer or the move-up home buyer to be able to to buy something um, and still get those really favorable terms of the the conventional loan, um, you know, 
minimum down payment, great interest rates, great closing costs. It's really it's really a nice thing. It, and yeah, it's been at least 10 years that we've been stuck at the numbers that we were at. So um, those changes, by the way, now, if you've got one of those loans. We I can accept a, those applications. In fact, I was thinking of a loan that I did a few months back for um, a borrower where we did some careful analysis because I think his loan was like five eighty ish and he needed to come up with the buy down to get to five sixty one two plus the closing costs, you know, so it was gonna end up like twenty three or five thousand bucks and ultimately decided that it wasn't worth it to do so. And so we ended up doing a jumbo transaction. And so now I'm like Hey, some of those people that were just barely over that were in that unique spot are now in a spot where they could refinance into a conventional loan, get that uh, lower interest rate. So even in this rising interest rate environment, there's some opportunity um, for people to save a little bit of money. It's 1024 now. We're going to do the first commercial break of this hour. And, uh, stick around. We'll be back for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 01839608. NMLS number 328358. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your host, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Dan's over here. Oh, yeah. Dan loves this one, doesn't he? It's a good one. This is classic. 1948 for this. <clears throat> believe that. Yeah. This, I can this, see it with that, that music video you're showing me here. Yeah. <laughs> still images. <laughs> it is. But Christmas classic here. That is for sure. 
Hey folks, we've only got about 30 minutes left in our uh, 2016 Mortgage Matters schedule here. And we're going to we're going to conclude the year with a few predictions for you for 2017. I do want to remind you though that, you know, Central Coast Lending, we're open through the holidays. Of course not on the holiday. Holidays are on weekends this year, but we've got the 26th, the Monday is the observed day for Christmas and then January 2nd is the observed day for New Year, so we will be closed those days, but otherwise we'll be in the office conducting business, closing transactions, trying to get things done before year end and uh, eagerly awaiting new loan applications uh, to start to kick off the new year. And you can reach us all day, every day at uh, 543-LOAN, 543-5626 if you need to speak to one of the Central Coast Lending Mortgage Experts. Great time to get a plan together if you're self-employed. Yeah, it's great to get those tax returns uh, figured out so that you can... Play a little if-then. Yeah, you got to be able to plan ahead, and if you need to do a real estate transaction, make sure you're not, uh, you know, make sh- maybe it's time to not write off all of the expenses. Or yeah, it costs you a little more in taxes, but you might be able to save a lot of money in, in your mortgage. Those questionable expenses, too, where you're... <laughs> writing off some of those meals that weren't quite business meals and you're you're being a little bit sneaky there um those are looking at it from that standpoint you know maybe just just being a little bit more honest about all your write-offs and having a little bit more taxable income could be a good thing to help you qualify the other thing too that um is always worth mentioning to people is that we have the ability to do a a conventional loan for you um, on one year of tax returns for certain transactions. So, um, you know, if you have a new business or uh, a business maybe that um, for whatever reason 2016 is going to shape up an awful lot better than 2015 was, uh, maybe you finally got the nose up or got some of your, you know, your investment finally paid off and you got a good business now, but only one year tax return. Um, that's something that sometimes we can make a deal out of. So I always like to invite the self-employed people this time of year, come see us, um, you know, bring in a draft of what you're working with and, uh, we can at least tell you what's possible. Um, owning a home, by the way, is, is one of few tax exemptions. You, You get some tax deductions and credits for owning a home. Um, that makes it pretty attractive. I mean, not only does it something that can appreciate, over time, um, eventually leading you to a place where you might not have to have a mortgage payment if you could if you could find a spot where you pay a home off. But um, you can save some money along the way, writing off the property taxes, interest expenses against the property, all these kind of things. You know, you're you're able to itemize finally. Remember those years before you were able to itemize? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you had some real expenses, but you don't really get credit for them because, they, oh, it doesn't exceed the standard deduction. Once you own a home, that's almost, you know, that's where most people finally make it into being able to, to itemize and can lower their effective tax rate. And uh, who doesn't want to pay lower taxes? Me. I do. You don't want to? No, I do want to pay lower oh. taxes. Yeah. <laughs> Me you too. don't. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah. go ahead and raise my taxes anytime. I said, who doesn't want to pay lower taxes? There we go. Just like, there we go. I heard it differently. <laughs> who wants lower taxes? Yeah. Me. Just go ahead and rake down over the coals here. <laughs> I'll pick up the tab, guys. <laughs> there it is. 
So yeah, the uh, the fun part about this final show of 2016 is always to kind of talk about what you think is looking the, uh, ahead. And so let's start here. Um, this I think is the easy low lying fruit uh, performance of real estate values over this next coming year. Sure. What do you expect? I expect. What do you expect and why? Give me a little why. Sure, of course. With it. Yeah, always. Um, I expect the pace of appreciation. I still expect homes to appreciate mm-hmm. um, nationally, statewide, all over the place. Um, I expect the pace to just slow a little bit more. Um, I think for 2016, we saw probably for the entire year about five and a half to six percent appreciation. I expect that to dip below five percent, probably more in the four to five percent range. And I think the reasoning is that um, I think it's just the the pressure of affordability. I I think that with rates going up even even a little bit, it's going to just drop that many more people out of the market and. and I think for that reason, activity is going to slow slightly. It's it's probably going to get to normal levels, normal marketing times. Um, but but I I do see appreciation slowing just slightly. All right. Well, you mentioned rates, so let me ask you specifically then: um, How many rate hikes do you think we'll see out of the Fed? Uh, I'm I'm gonna just look back this last year at the pattern I saw. I'm gonna go with two. Okay. I think we'll see two rate hikes. I think we'll see one. I I think they're the first one that they're probably thinking is going to happen uh, around springtime is not going to happen. I think we're going to see one in the summer and maybe another one uh, towards the end of the year. And quarter point at all meetings. Quarter point at both. Slow and steady. And where do you think the thirty-year fixed from here is? I mean, let's call it four and a half today. If we're saying it's four and a half today, I see the 30-year fixed um, four and three quarters, four and three quarters. Up only slightly. I see it. So here's here's my... what's the ride? What's the ride? Here's my path for rates next year. Slightly up the whole way? I see um, we're going to see things ease uh, rate-wise, rates ease at the beginning of the year as they did this last year. And... um, I think into the summer months, we're going to start to see it return to the levels we're experiencing now. Um, We're going to have a rate hike. Things are going to slowly go up from there and, um, you know, kind of have the same ride that we had this year. Interesting. I I think the first half of the year is going to be a slow, steady decline in rates. And the latter half of the year is going to be a slow, steady increase in rates with it ultimately finishing about a quarter point higher. I hope you're right. What you've painted sounds rosy to me. Painless and rosy. All right, let's hear your version of the uh, home appreciation. Um, what was it? Interest rates. Was there another thing? Oh, Fed Fed rate hikes and then overall uh, number of in the rate hikes and yeah. interest rates. Um, I'm going with um, California California home price appreciation in the double digits. Woo! Yeah. I think it's going to be strong. I think it's going to be even stronger now. You know me for years. I've been saying that there is a crisis level of demand that's just been unmet for too long. And in today's environment of um, trying to meet water demands, I mean, uh, the water constraints, maybe I should say, um, environmental impact, running out of raw land, 
the the high cost of construction, increasing cost of labor, uh, all of these things that I believe are um, on the on the horizon here are going to lead to um, just a greater demand on the on the buy side. And um, I believe that it's going to push us into probably double digit appreciation for the next year. Um, maybe not nationally, but I think California wise, we're looking at, at something like that, uh, especially here locally. I think you're going to see that here locally. Um, the interest rate thing, I think um, I could, I, I feel a coin toss here. And I, I think the movement is not likely to be very benign. Um, if, Things move the way that, um, you know, in, in towards that progress. I can see the Fed's hiking rates three or four times this year. Um, if inflation becomes something that's uh, really to be concerned about and needs to be addressed, I think it might, you might even have a year, a, a meeting this year where you might see a half a point hike to try to do something to, to calm things down, um, try to try to throw a little bit of um, brakes on what could be, you know, heading into a white hot economy. I, I, I hope that's true. I would love to see an environment, you know, I, I spent last couple of weeks here being um, perhaps a little bit emotional as I think about, you know, what this means for our business. Any good business owner is going to be constantly um, assessing the, the climate that they're in and trying to make projections and make sure you're planning and doing things right. Um, I think there's some great opportunity that lie ahead for um, for us specifically with um, you know some of the companies that haven't been so attuned to um, the market and paying attention and, and working hard when for the last few years refinance business was really low lying fruit. Um, our company's done a great job of being a huge resource to the local real estate market and helping so many buyers buy homes and. Um, that's not soon forgotten. So I think probably what this means to us is that um, there's going to be a little bit of consolidation. Looking forward to picking up some key people that want to go from a company that's going to be slashing staff and expenses and attempting to figure out how to grapple their way into the new market. They're going to see the safe haven of our company where we've been really careful to be positioned as a, as a local lender that's a real resource to the community. Um, and then additionally, I think that with some of the, the positive changes that I believe are coming next year, we're going to see some wage growth. We're going to see some jobs created and some new opportunities um, nationally. And I think it produces a, a new wave of qualified buyers that can afford to buy. Unfortunately, those people are going to be running into um, heavy demand on the real estate market. And like I said before, there's just not the supply, <coughs> excuse me, to meet those demands. And I believe that's going to be problematic and it's going to force us into a position as a state and country to figure out how to create more affordable housing opportunities. We're hitting a point where um, we've had these ingredients uh, for far too long, and we've just not used them very wisely. This long, drawn-out recession and very slow recovery returned re real estate values to where they were, but during that whole period, everything got more expensive, and even land got more scarce, and now the next pressure that we're all rooting for is labor. Uh, we want to see increased wages, but what you're asking for now is also increased costs to build these new homes that we need to house these new people. Um, so there's a, it's an interesting time. 
Um, and, you know, and then the flip side of the coin, like I say, I, I think it's going to be kind of extreme to one way or the other. Um, if, in fact, we don't have those rate hikes and the economy doesn't respond as well as it should and the handoff of the baton from one president to the next isn't quite as well received and maybe it's just drags from the global economy that sort of hold us back and don't allow us to increase rates, I think then you could potentially see rates um, dipping a little bit. In either case, real estate values, I believe, are poised to increase. Well, this isn't the both sides of the fence game. This is the pick my my more likely outcome is that we're going to see um fed rate increases over the course of the year i'm i'm going to go on to say i think they're probably going to raise rates probably three times and i would leave in fact i'll 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 go four times and i'll leave the chances to one of them being more than the quarter i so talk to me about the path of rates over the course of the year um i think that they're going to take one at the next opportunity just to go ahead and push it, I think the markets, like like you mentioned earlier, the ten-year bond yield has moved a hundred basis points practically in the last two months, and the Feds are they they moved a quarter, and so I think there's a lot of upward pressure for them to come along with where the the normal market has gone. I think there's also some political pressure there um, on the Fed to. Um, maybe switch gears a little bit and, and move more rapidly towards this normalized rate environment. And um, I, so I think it's going to happen at the very next opportunity. I'll, um, um, I'll throw one more prediction opportunity at you. Do you think Janet Yellen will be the one chairing those meetings throughout 2017? I do. Okay. I do. I think we're going to see her all the way through the term. I don't think she's going to get her new term after February of 2018. So I do. I think we're going to stick with her straight through. Um, Because why not? Because why not? It wasn't his pick. He's not going to ask her to step down. She's not going to resign on her own accord. Um, I mean, you saw in the conference just the other day, uh, they got into the Q&A and everybody wanted to say, what yeah. about this new president? And um, and she just kept saying, you're not going to paint me into that corner. Very proud of the anonymity that the Fed has um, away from the, the political cycle and, and newsroom. Um, so, yeah, I do. I think Janet Yellen will be there all year. How about you? Think she'll make it? <sighs> I don't know. You I want her to I, make it? <laughs> I find it very interesting that with all of the meetings that the president elects having with everyone under the sun, including uh, Kanye West, right? He hasn't. There's been no meeting with um, any Fed members, which I guess part of it's probably due to that, you know, keeping them their own yeah. autonomous body. But at the same time, this is not a conventional um, president-elect, and so I'm I'm kind of surprised that there hasn't been a meeting and a discussion of of policy. But um, yeah, I I think that that's something where we'll let the year play out and then he'll get his person in there. Yeah. So, um let's switch gears here a little bit. Let's so we we've seen in the last well basically since the the election night um we've seen stocks on a crazy run, the Trump the Trump rally or whatever it's being called. There's Trump rally Trump stocks. Well, ha- stock market's knocking on the door of 20,000. I think it's a hundred or a little over a hundred points away from 20,000. Um, what are stocks doing next year? 21.5. Going up? Going up. 
I, uh, I, I'm not there with you. I, I think at some point this rally hits a plateau. I feel like a lot of what's going on in, in markets right now is just, uh, there was the shock of, of the election and now the, um, the resetting, I think things are just resetting based on what, what was decided and at, at some point we're going to we're going to have reset and then things are just going to hit plateaus kind of i mean we were kind of plateaued in stocks prior to election and i i feel like there's just a resetting and then it'll plateau i think we're going to we're going to hover you know just up and I'm, down on that 20,000 i'm picking my my number not so randomly if i think home prices are going to go up by 10% i feel like that as an well. asset about 10% in okay. the market as well um I couldn't make a very sound argument for how we're going to see radical price increases in housing with a flatter declining um, sure. stock market. So yeah. I think it'll probably just go along the same. Okay. It'll be interesting to see how it all shapes up. I mean, and, and one thing's for sure, you're no matter what, you're going to have to get up and go to work tomorrow and figure out how to make the best of it. So, uh, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to see. At the same time, you know, as we talk about those potential for rate increases, this is one of the things that I think um, this is another piece of fodder for my argument as to why we're going to see real estate kind of go on a on a pretty good bender upward is um, think about interest rates from the 80s. They declined. I mean, I was telling the story yesterday about our friend Kurt that was a loan originator. And he refinanced his clients from the 80s from, you know, 16% to 14% to 12% to 8% to 6% to 4%. And when the game got to 4% and looked like it probably was, if not at bottom, there were really only room left to go up, switched careers. <laughs> and um, got into the asset management yeah, uh, the business. Might as well. He created all those wealth for all those people all along the way. May as well step over now and begin I, managing the money. Yeah, create so, wealth on the way up. So here's the deal, though, is we have this housing crisis that we keep talking about. It's, it, it's been a, it, the fact that we haven't built homes to keep up with demand just for population growth that, um, you know, immigration and migration and just what it takes for um, for a decade here. We just haven't met it. Um, there's going to be some real strain here leading a year or two down the road when that interest rate is potentially 5% or if Moody's is right and the 30-year fix is going to land somewhere around 6%, the people that have the 3% 30-year fix, the 35 30-year fix, the 4% 30-year fix, the 4.5% 30-year fix, they're not going anywhere. They're not going to sell their house. So what you have potentially is a cycle almost never seen before where the low of the low rates here are going to have people in a position of um, wanting to stay and keep loans longer than ever and figure out how to stay in homes and remodel and, and just stay put. And that puts even further demand um, in the housing market is there just won't be those existing home sales D through those years. Like I, you know, describe my friend Kurt that, that just played those rates all the way down as you were enjoying those lower rates and that greater purchasing power and that price appreciation and saving money on the, uh, all the way to boot. Um, you were, 
you know, why not upgrade, get a second house, have a rental property, do all these things. I think you're heading into an environment right now where it's a, it's a different game altogether is it's like, man, I, I don't want to sell my house and, you know, go play the game of moving or whatever. And, and just simply throw two or three or $400 a month more in interest down the hole and property taxes. You got this prop 13 thing too, where, you know, if you, if you had a stroke of brilliance and bought a house in 2010 or 11, uh, you're riding a pretty good wave right now of a sweet low tax rate, a sweet low interest rate. And you're just looking poised for a long-term wealth building cycle. And the absence of those homes in the market are only going to make the people that are willing to sell, they're going to sell for more. That's what I think. Hmm. I feel like I was taking a different spin off that. I thought you were supporting my conclusion by saying all those people that are going to stay put are not going to be buyers. So that's going to ease that demand a little. Nah, because you forgot about the 10 years worth of buyers that um, but, okay, are ready I, to buy. I haven't forgotten. Here's where my thought is, is, is demand easing or getting worse? Today? Yeah. I think you look back, we haven't built for 10 years. We're starting to build again. I think that's Not easing demand. at the pace I think that, that needs to be rates are, are rising, which is going to make things less affordable for some. That's going to ease demand. Um, I think that people have got themselves in a situation with their house where it's very affordable, it's fixed, it's predictable, it's home. That's going to ease demand. I think those are the reasons why we're going to see a plateau. I, I think this year we're going to see lighter appreciation. I think it's, you know, you look over the, you look backward at however long you want. Housing hits these periods where it plateaus. We had this huge run up in values throughout the 2000s. And then we had a big drop because of this housing, you know, the the mortgage meltdown. And then we caught back up, values recovered back to where they were. So you still look at the overall trend is going up pretty significantly over the last decade, decade and a half. Um, we haven't hit that plateau after that last run up in values. I think that's on the horizon, not for this year, but... Two, three, four years out, I, I think we're we're poised for one of those I, plateaus. I see how you draw your conclusions, and um, <laughs> I, I, I I just wish there was some way I could show you the error to your logic. Um, we if, just need a DeLorean. Yeah, if only <laughs> exactly. And you know, I just want to remind you that 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 uh, San Luis Obispo class of 2006 that was getting out of high school and just the terrible spot in the economy to be a home buyer. Um, the good news is, is that that's a surgeon today and he's making great money and he's looking for a home. That 28 year old is a surgeon today. Oh, yeah. 10 years. Post wow. high school. I don't know about that. Wow. Oh. He was like wow. the whiz of his class. He's Doogie Hauser, and he's a home buyer. There it is. Yep, he's a home buyer. See, I here's where I'm at. I think you know households are forming a little later. I think that guy is in medical school still, and a few years. Do you have to go to medical school for ten years. <laughs> few years hey. out. Well, you have to go to college. Four, then you got to three, three, three. You got to do all kinds. Then you got to do a residency. Yeah. And then you got to make some money to pay off all that debt. Yeah. And then you can finally focus on a family. Mm -hmm. um, I think that those. Millennial buyers, yeah, they're going to start to be buying, um, but 
the big chunk of them are still a few years out. And I think after this plateau that I see on the horizon, that's going to be that next big wave in appreciation. But I still see that being, you know, more like seven to 10 years out. We got to get better at recapping last year's predictions into mm-hmm. the next year. Yeah. I mean, just to just to know, because I'm, I'm just picturing that next year we're going to have the I Told You So show. <laughs> yeah. So get that ready. Save this one today. We'll for rerun next this December. show next December. The All I, right. Uh, How about wages? So. Let's talk about wages and the growth that we're expecting next year. To, I've been way too bullish on wages the last three years, I think, and they haven't. Um, bounced up the way I had. It's probably hoped <laughs> more than more than a, a real prediction. It's just more of a hope. Um, do you think that 2017 will prove to finally be a year of of meaningful wage growth, or yeah. is it going to be more slow, steady wage growth? Because that's what we've seen. I think we were we're seeing like 0.2 percent month over month. It might be unsure at the beginning. Yeah, I, because I of, mean, you know, the whole big change. The, the here. part about the wage growth that's difficult for me is um, it, this is, I think, so closely tied to healthcare, and I have no idea what to predict or expect with healthcare. But as an employer, you know what prevents me from doling out great raises right now? Well, because you just gave everyone a raise in the form of twenty five percent. Increase in in the healthcare cost that yeah, ab- is it, absorbed. Yeah, and it constitutes a, a part of the operating budget that um, you know. In our case, we we pay that for the employees of the company for for a host of reasons, and probably the, the you know the anti business reason is just the the pers- the personal reason. You know, you you want to see your people well taken care of. Those costs. Just running out of control recently. I think um, the the pain that you feel is the same pain that every employer feels right now, and um, especially for those employers that are over uh, fifty employees, where they, they it's a it's kind of a a difference. We we participate in this uh, electively, you know, um, and so I think that's a big part of it. And so for me, I don't know how to address that because I I really feel like if there was a way to fix the healthcare costs and somehow make it more reasonable um, to where you at least didn't experience the 25% a year premium increases. That's probably where the wage growth would come. Um, You know, I, and I still, I believe in the good nature of people, especially for businesses smaller than 50 people. I think those guys are wanting um, above all else. You know, I was asked, you were in the room a couple weeks ago, but I was asked, where do you see yourself? You know, what do you, where do you see yourself at 2017? Um, I just see myself surviving. That's all I want, man. I, I want to be able to take care of myself and my family. Love to keep the company and the current staff intact. Growing would be phenomenal. Um, even if we went through a period of just being stagnant in production and just able to keep the lights on and keep everybody happy and what feels like um, that thing. I mean, what you and I are describing, a fork in the road together. We run this company together, but conceptually we are um, what we anticipate might could happen and, and what we hope for. And like you said, you, you're bullish on jobs and wages. Um, that's because in your core, you just want to see people doing better. And, um, 
So it's hard. It's like it's like when you go bet on the 49ers, man. You're betting with your heart. And <laughs> yeah, that's you're a, trying to will things yeah, to happen. Yeah, that's a that's a <laughs> tough spot to come from. And so yeah, we all we do want to see everybody doing better. And I, I really do. I feel like healthcare's has really been one of the the biggest challenges there for all of the small businesses is you you want to take care of your people. You want to have them enough money to be able to to buy the the home in town. You, you know, for your people to be homeowners or more stable employees. The, the whole thing is it's just a better mix. Um, we all want that. I think I do. I believe that. Um, perhaps those lines get blurred when you start talking about you know the huge conglomerates with you know hundreds of or thousands of employees. Maybe they aren't as altruistic. I don't know, but. Um, so yeah, it's hard for me to predict that because if if we don't get this healthcare thing figured out, I think that's sort of a, a leech sucking the blood out of that small business owner, and I think it prevents him from being able to to provide meaningful wage growth. Um, you know, and then additionally, you know, you got some of these other concerns right now too with the global lag. Um, it, exporting goods today just got harder with this strong dollar. Um, you know, our president-elect wants to, it sounds like he wants to get himself up in a couple trade wars, too. Uh, regardless of how you feel about the politicking of that, it, it's nice to want to protect jobs on American soil and do those things. They come at a cost, too, and uh, makes things more expensive. And so if you're already um, causing added expense there, it's difficult to pile on the additional added expense of growing uh, wages for those employees here, too. Um but then at the same time, you need to because those goods are all going to be a little bit more. So that I, I really do. I think healthcare is probably one of the biggest drivers in whether or not we're going to see real wage growth this year. And so I want to go with you. I want to say I hope so. I really <laughs> do. I hope that. Uh, it would be great. And like I said earlier, this new, hotter economy that we're all hoping for um, is going to create more qualified buyers and more people with um, you know, a, a greater reach to be able to afford houses. Um, they're not getting any cheaper to build. So um, anyway, we'll see. Hey, folks, I hope you get a taste of what Central Coast Lending's all about. We're uh, we're a thoughtful bunch of of mortgage professionals here to help you buy a home, refinance your home. You know, it, it, there's a little bit of financial planning component to it all, but we try to take the whole big picture um, in as we advise you and guide you through the mortgage process. Um, we hope that that you view this radio show that we do every weekend as a resource to you. It's here. It's available to you. We're going to be here all next year. Um, we try to talk about issues that matter to you, the the homeowner, the home buyer, uh, the, the person who's just interested in real estate in general. We, we try to talk about the issues that affect our business and affect real estate both locally, uh, statewide, nationally. Um, we want to have this conversation ongoing so that we don't get blindsided by, by things like it felt like happened, uh, just, you know, eight years ago. So that's the whole point of the show. We hope that when you're ready to transact real estate and get a mortgage, that you'll at least consider our company, get a quote from us, engage one of our, our loan officers and, um, think about doing business with us. We're here in your community and, and we're, you know, we plan on being here for a long time to come. So we appreciate those of you who do use our company, and we want to wish you guys all a, a happy holiday season. And, um, you know, we're going to take the next couple weeks off, and and we'll be back with you for the 2017 year. Yeah, I can't help but reflecting today on it. It's been another great year. 
Um, and you know, like I said, my my biggest desire for next year is just to survive, and I think that's probably the fact for most people. But I can't help but be thankful for all of you guys that have helped us. Um, you know, Dan and I have been doing this radio show for eight years or something now, and it's a it's a labor of love, a labor nonetheless. But um, we come every week, and, and you know, it's because it's worth it too. You guys respond well. Uh, we get a lot of business out of this program and the listenership, and we're very grateful for it. So I. I, too, would like to, whatever the holiday season means to you, um, I hope you all peace and prosperity and thank you for the for the business and the opportunity to help. And, um, you know, if you guys do want to take advantage of that help, if you want to do some planning, get on a path, show us your tax returns, let us work with you on doing some credit cleanup, uh, whatever those things are, if you need that help, you can get a hold of us. Uh, the number to the office rings all of the offices is 543 loan, which is 543-5626. You can also check us out on the web, centralcoastlending.com. Um, yeah, a couple weeks off. Happy New Year. We tried really hard to get those uh, next two weeks just Christmas music for you, but that's uh, that's not allowed. Yeah. So instead, you're going to hear some great uh, reruns. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> right. We'll see you all in 2017. Have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thanks, everyone.